Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. If you have a safe place, a comfortable place, a place that's stimulating and interesting for you, a place that embraces you, your home, it's so much easier to handle a lot of other variables out there in the world. Welcome to Being Home with Hunker, a podcast where we explore the idea of home, not just as a place where you live, but as an expression of your identity. I'm Lori Gunning Grossman, Hunker's editorial director. Today on the show, we have Cliff Fogg, a Los Angeles-based interior designer and entrepreneur. Cliff's approach to design comes from a personal level that feels collected, curated, and doesn't have to be precious. It's all about the high-low mix. His work has been published many times in magazines such as Elle Decor, Architectural Digest, Wall Street Journal, and In Style, so you may recognize his name. Or perhaps you remember him as a co-host and judge on Ellen's Design Challenge, a furniture design competition on HGTV from executive producer Ellen DeGeneres, who also happens to be one of Cliff's longstanding clients. Cliff is also the founder of the design firm Matt Black and the co-founder of a vintage furniture showroom in LA called Gallery Half. In this conversation with Cliff, we talk about the connection between fashion and interior design, his favorite types of projects to take on these days, why he doesn't want to be ruled by his possessions, and how designing and defining how one lives is an incredible opportunity to communicate something about yourself. So let's welcome our guest, Cliff Fong. Cliff Fong. Hi. <laughs> Welcome. I am so happy to talk with you. And to start it off, I want to hear all about your current home. But first, can you tell me a little bit about the place that you had in Koreatown? Because it was photographed many times. Well, that's actually where I had two condos, one on top of another, a building that was built in the 1920s, I believe by Al Jolson, believe it or not. Hmm. It was actually shot and published, I think, in Departures magazine. Rather, my home was was published several times in different iterations, but um, just the unit on top was in departures. And now I live um, in a in a kind of weird neighborhood. You know, it's funny. I've always liked the fringe of Los Angeles. I've never lived, even though I'm on the west side quite often. And 
there's certainly a lot of reason to go there. I, I've never lived there. It always just felt a little too perfect. And I think maybe being a New Yorker, uh, I, I prefer kind of a more urban feel or, or something that feels just a little more like a neighborhood, a neighborhood with street traffic and fringe culture more than mainstream or high street kind of culture. Now I live in mid-city, which is a, honestly something I never even heard about. How are you liking it? I didn't think that I would like it as much as I do. The idea of being open to whatever is, I think, the key to living in a big city. Mm -hmm. Because if you were to sort of arrange your life around pockets in Los Angeles, you would never see anything else. And it's such a big, obviously spread out and diverse city. How'd you find your place? Honestly, this place, I just got lucky. I had been looking for nine months to try to find something and wasn't finding anything that was the perfect formula for me for the amount of work I I had the stomach for the amount of budget that I wanted to allocate towards a new home. I just couldn't find anything that didn't need a substantial amount of work that I was not able to live through in the house. Mm. So when I found this little pace, it was pretty much ready to move in, even though, of course, after my first month here, I thought oh, I made a horrible mistake because everything's wrong and it's going to take forever. And it's, you know, it's overwhelming. The one thing that kept going through my head were those adages or those kind of uh, phrases like doctors are the worst patients. Uh-huh. Of course, I can do this for anybody else, but for myself, like I was way over budget. I kept changing my mind. Honestly, if I were my client, I would have fired me <laughs> because it, just, it was like way out of control. But I worked through a lot of stuff and now I'm really happy and thankful that I have this space, especially during this last year of the pandemic that was, um, well, challenging for everybody. But I think because there was so much uncertainty, and I guess there still is a little, mm. there were so many things that were uncertain. It was nice to have a place that just felt secure and safe and peaceful. There was a lot of renovation I did, including an addition and a pool, and, mm. and I've got a garden in the back. And, you know, I'm really thankful that it was completed before the pandemic, because if I had to look at something unresolved for a year, I think I would have lost my mind, in addition to the stress of all of the things that were uncertain. Yeah. It helped reinforce what it is I do and why I do it. Because I realize if you have a safe place, a comfortable place, a place that's stimulating and interesting for you, a place that embraces you, your home, it's so much easier to handle a lot of other variables out there in the world. We are all theoretically in control of what's in our homes, what we come home to. Obviously, kids and pets kind of challenge that sometimes. Mm -hmm. But within certain parameters, one knows what to expect when they come home. As you were spending more time at home because of the pandemic and the lockdown in Los Angeles, did you have any specific home projects that you worked on? My pandemic project was just landscaping the front yard. You know what? One of the things that I was really thankful for, other than still continuing to work, because now I'm, I'm sure you've heard almost every designer, architect, landscaper, contractor, anybody who's in kind of the home space is busier than ever. Mm. One thing that at least was open was anything that was related to those, to building, landscaping, everything. So during this time, I think literally went to almost every nursery between San Diego and Santa Barbara. And I would I would recommend this for anybody if they've got the chops for it. Um, wear a hat to protect yourself from the sun. But when you, go, when you go to these nurseries, go way in the back or the perimeter of nurseries. Why go in the back or on the perimeter? You'll find really large specimen overgrown plants that no one knows how to deal with. You can get them for probably as little as 10% of what the cost would be if you bought them at a nursery, like a specialty nursery in the city. Mm. 
So I was finding 20 foot tall cacti because I, I, I really like drought tolerant plants because they're sculptural and interesting. And I also really believe that at this point in Los Angeles, none of us have any business planting anything but drought tolerant plants. I think that's a very important thing. And they're beautiful. Yeah. But I was finding amazing, huge specimen plants for just tiny, tiny sums compared to what some of those things would have cost here in town. So I had a lot of fun with that and planting that garden. Did you start to see your home in a different way or did you use it in a different way? Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely worked a lot more from home. We all did. But I really, I have to say, I don't love Zoom calls. <laughs> I think if you're a creative person and if being tactically creative is important to you, it's really difficult to feel like those kinds of design meetings or conferences are they they're just not as they're not gratifying in any way mm. even if they are productive but it is comfortable working from home i certainly enjoyed being home with my plants and my fish and my dogs and that was all really nice um it was amazing having more time with friends where we would all just sit and hang out and talk or mm. obviously responsibly but i think when you live in a city like los angeles or big city in general, I think there's this, I don't know if it's a pressure, if there is, it, that's my fault, but there's this expectation that one should be able to enjoy the best offerings in that city. Mm-hmm. During the pandemic, a lot of that kind of entertainment was just wiped off the board. I think like a lot of people, I, I looked at my house a little bit differently and recognized the value in it, but also saw where things could be improved or changed simply for the reason that I'm going to look at something more or I'm going to be here more or maybe I need something to be a little more comfortable. If I'm entertaining more, maybe I need a little more programming to make sure that guests have everything they need or everything to be comfortable. So yes, there was a lot of re-examination of the space, but in the end, I don't think I really changed a lot. I'm also not one of those people who is constantly looking at things critically. I don't want to be that person. Mm-hmm. If I'm tasked with something, I will look at things very critically and very analytical and almost obsessively analytical about certain things. And, and part of my process, part of the creative process, I think involves a certain level of obsession where sometimes at night I'm working out what it is that I'm installing the next day on a project and I'll sit in every chair in my head and wonder what it is that I'm looking at and I want to make sure that's something good. I'll think about what's out the window. I'll think about, you know, it's it's a lot, but I find it super productive. But because of that, when I get home, I just, sometimes I don't want to think about anything. <laughs> yeah. And in my own space, rather, I don't want to be looking at everything like it can be changed or made better. I don't use my home as a place to exercise my creative demons. Mm-hmm. It's more that I, I just want it to be peaceful and stable. And and I don't want the headache of constantly feeling like something could be better or changing it for the better. Right. First of all, thank goodness, or else you'd just be living in like in chaos in your brain all the time or just stressed out in your home if you were looking at everything critically. Well, I think also a lot of people think because I'm just looking at beautiful things all the time or hopefully I'm looking at beautiful things all the time while shopping for clients. I also have a retail store and a showroom Mm -hmm. and some amazing things come through, you know, our showroom doors, but I can't take everything for myself nor would I want to because what kind of business person would do that? Right. Now, when you're in your home, how do you want to feel? I want to feel at peace with the things that I should be and that I am thankful for. I'm not always interested in trading up. Mm-hmm. 
So I like to think about our homes as canvases to tell the story of our lives. Yeah. Often when we walk into someone's home, we can immediately know something about the person who lives there. When someone walks into your home, how does your space tell the story of you? I do think kind of designing or defining how one lives is an incredible opportunity to communicate something about yourself or communicate something to yourself about yourself. Mm. I'm not exactly sure what the perception is. My guess is from what people tell me, and this is why they say never to believe your own publicity, is that I think people have a more grandiose idea about who I am, how I live, what I do, than is actually true or that actually feels true to me. Mm-hmm. I do feel lucky. I, life is pretty interesting, and I didn't think it would be as interesting as it is. I didn't think that I would have had the access to a lot of really kind of wonderful and stimulating things in my life that I have. And in some ways, I think what's in my house is reflective of some of that access or experiences or exposure to things. Mm. I think it's as kind of exemplary of being odd and (laughs) eccentric and also maybe hopefully unique and intriguing. I don't, I don't know. But, but I think it is probably reflective of all those things that have brought me to this moment. Everything in my life is here around me. This, however, is really different from the place I lived before. And that was very different from the place I lived before that. So the communication of what it is that's interesting about anyone's life in anyone's home changes, varies from time to time. And, and, and that's kind of the power of defining how you live, nesting, creating the space. And I think that's a, it's a great gift. And for some reason, I don't think people think about it in that way. Mm. But, you know, in the early 90s, before the rise of the denim and contemporary market, either people shopped at like the Gap or a department store, or they were flying to Milan and buying designer clothing or, or, mm. or shopping at the more really expensive boutiques in capital cities. Then when the denim market expanded kind of the fashion vocabulary in America and the contemporary market then offered beautiful dresses for women that were three or $400 instead of three or $4,000 from Europe, I, I think people suddenly realized, oh, I can do a lot more. I can create a lot more. I can say a lot more about myself. And fashion expanded hugely. I think I'm I'm saying all this because for many years I used to work in fashion also. Mm -hmm. So it's a wonderful industry. Right now, the home furnishings market or the home in general is expanding very similarly to the way fashion expanded in the mid-90s. How so? How is it similar to the way fashion expanded? People are realizing, oh, I have other options than going to a big box store or clicking buttons online, you know, or going to a flea market. Mm -hmm. Those are all fine and wonderful things. I just wouldn't. Well, maybe with the exception of a flea market, I don't think I'd rely on any of those resources to completely define the way I live. Mm -hmm. But I think people are realizing that they have options now. And and it wasn't just big box store or having the money to hire a designer or traveling to Paris to go to some of the most bourgeois and beautiful offerings in the world. So I think when you have a chance to really consider how you live and not just think, I need something to sit at and watch TV. I need something to eat at. I need something to sleep in. You really are giving yourself the opportunity to fully articulate 
who you are, what makes you feel good or makes you feel supported and embracing and embraced, and then what it is that you'd like to share with the people around you. I, I think that's an opportunity not to be missed. And everybody has that opportunity independent of their finances. You know, I, there's authenticity at every level. There's integrity at every level. What there isn't is patience sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think also what doesn't always exist is um, how best to phrase it. There isn't kind of always an honest motivation in creating your own home. Mm. Although I think the best homes are created out of an honest level of inspiration, thought and communication. Can you give me an example of this? For instance, like, you know, I get a lot of calls about projects and I, I think people might be inclined to believe that most of my projects don't have budgets and they're very large and probably with, you know, expensive and with significant 20th century design or contemporary art or modern art. You know, I like all those things. Mm-hmm. If people were to search out some of my work, they would probably find that there's a lot of that information online. And because those are most of the published projects, but there are a lot of projects I take just because I think they're interesting and I, or I really like the people that have reached out to me, or I feel like I can do something or without sounding too um, (laughs) self-congratulatory. But I do feel really good when I feel like I've helped somebody, that I've improved the way they lived. And sometimes people with big budgets don't appreciate things in the same way. And what's worse, sometimes people with large budgets or unlimited resources, I think it affords them the opportunity not to think about authenticity. And I don't think people should create their homes in hopes of getting some sort of um, um, external gratification from it. It really should be internal. Right. I'm thankful that people reach out, and, that, and I really appreciate that there's more than enough work there. Mm-hmm. So when you're working with people now, how do you want to work with them? Like, what brings you joy? I feel like I want to help people who I can really help. I want to collaborate with people I, I'll really enjoy collaborating with. Mm-hmm. I want to learn something or experience something or explore something with every project that I might not have done before. It's no fun phoning it in. And it's not just about money. I mean, I I think in my 20s or 30s when I was trying to make my way, yes, I I considered money a little differently. But now I really consider, well, how can my client and I enjoy the best experience? And now for a quick break. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
You mentioned that you had worked in fashion. How did you shift from a career in fashion into a career in interior design? I started working in fashion since I was 19. My father, during my adolescence, lived in Europe. So I spent most of my summers there, which was an incredible gift. That was really great. Um, I also studied art history, which most of the study of that deals with European art. Having a background in art history and having, I think, some of my developmental years in Europe, when I started working in fashion and being in Europe, you know, several times to half a dozen times a year, everything had a different context for me than maybe the typical or or average tourist. Mm -hmm. Everything I looked at, I think I was, well, I shouldn't say everything because I'm not an expert or a PhD, (laughs) but I was given the chance to put almost everything that I saw or experienced into some kind of historical context. And I started being interested in more cerebral things. So I started to spend more time in getting back to museums and I started kind of embracing that side of me that really likes scavenging or things that offer me a, an opportunity for an experience or some sense of discovery. So I started going to every single, you know, going down little back streets, looking for different dealers. And there was no internet then. So you can just do a Google search and create mm-hmm. a, you know, a little map quest schedule for where you want to go. It was really pounding the pavement a lot, which is also what I did when I was working in fashion as a buyer. I would go to see the most obscure talents just to see if it was something that was worth sharing with everybody else, you know? And, and sometimes I'd be walking up like a staircase that I wasn't sure was stable. And then I'd walk into a tiny little studio with the most beautiful clothing I've ever seen. Wow. And I thought having that kind of discovery makes you feel like I want to have that as much as possible across a couple different mediums or a couple different areas, whether it's nature or design or art. I just like having that sense of discovery. So I started buying furniture. I started buying design and bringing those things home as souvenirs. And I was particularly interested and still am in some of the early mid-century French, Italian, and Danish design. So I started putting together my home and one or two friends had come over and they really appreciated it. And one or two may have asked me to help and we would go to the flea markets together or sometimes we'd shop together depending on what their budget was. And then some of those friends I've continued to help over the years as their careers have grown, as their real estate has grown. (laughs) It's been really kind of fun and organic. But I'm so glad that I tapped into that kind of experiential side of acquiring things because I've always taken the idea of the convenience of shopping online with a grain of salt. Do you ever shop online or is that the one thing you won't do when it comes to buying things for your home? If I need, you know, toothpaste or something, especially during the pandemic and I didn't feel like going to the grocery store, it's great just to go on on a site and order all the basic things you need. But when it comes to defining the way you live or defining the way you dress, I think there's no satisfaction for me in just clicking buttons, you know? Yeah. I want to engage it physically first. I want to try it out or try it on. If I have been hunting for something, I finally find it. I, I love that feeling of accomplishment, you know, and sometimes a really fun anecdote or story to go with it. It's a way to create meaning in my life that everything around me has a little more of a story that supports why it's here. Yeah. In the same way that we all look for cues in the world about supporting why we are here. (laughs) We create meaning, we create experiences kind of when, when you think back about all those things, well, that is what makes us kind of who we are. 
And I don't know if it would be me to just have everything bought by buttons. It's just, right. I, I think we are missing an opportunity if that's how we approach everything in life. Now, getting back to what you said earlier about traveling to Europe during the summer, do you think that had a big impact on how you approach design and where you find inspiration? My parents separated when I was 10 years old. Hmm. That was pretty traumatic. Yeah. But I'm really thankful because both my parents are great people and, and I'm really glad they didn't stay together for the wrong reason. I'm glad that they gave me an opportunity to see them happy in a different way. Mm. So I was really thankful for that and also really thankful because I don't think my life would be what it is now had they not separated. Yeah. Because it really opened up the world in a different way to me. My mother moved west. My father moved, stayed on the East Coast. From 10 years old on, I was on a plane almost once a month visiting one or, one or the other of them. Although I, I primarily lived with my mother. I really enjoyed it. It was an expansion of my world. It wasn't, it felt like it was all for me as opposed to that it was, was happening to me. It was happening for me. I think I gained a different level of confidence and independence and obviously wonderful experiences based on my family dynamic and my, and the obligation to travel. Now, Yes, there's travel that's obligatory for work, but I still enjoy my work. And whenever I get a chance, it's really nice to do something for myself and travel because I realize that has always been a huge source of inspiration for me. Yeah. And I don't mean just looking at something and thinking, oh, I have to bring that home. But feeling something that's different than we feel every day can spark all sorts of different inspirations. I, I think traveling although I don't really know for sure. But I find that I make different kinds of connections, which leads me to believe that different parts of my brain are speaking to each other in a way that they wouldn't if I'm just constantly dealing with things here at home that, that maybe I know too well or maybe I'm too comfortable with. Mm. So I think it's important to get out there and get some perspective. And the greater perspective I have on the world the healthier perspective I have, I think, on my own place in it and my own life. I imagine that your home is filled with beautiful pieces that you've collected throughout the years. What about living things? Well, okay, yes, I have three dogs. I've got two dozen koi. Whoa. <laughs> I've got 400 species of orchids out there. And I have a fish tank in my, <laughs> in my bathroom. <laughs> So aside from those living things, what holds the most value for you in your home? You know, I'm not sure exactly. I mean, obviously, I think the gifts that people have given me are more important than anything that I purchased for myself. Mm -hmm. um, so it would be hard to part with some of those things. Yeah. But I had a bit of a moment where I thought maybe I was going COVID crazy, mm. where I looked around the house, and it's not like I'm unhappy with anything, very happy with things, but I actually felt like... I don't want to be ruled by my possessions. You know, I was speaking with a lot of clients. They feel like their property owns them, not the other way around. Mm. And so if I was thinking about that, and, and you know what I said earlier about everything having meaning for me, mm -hmm. that has been a wonderful thing. But now when I look around, I kind of think like, it's a lot to maintain this level of meaning that I'm surrounded by. <laughs> Why do I have to be so fussy? I know it's my job. 
love, but in my own home, I could certainly live with a lot less. Yeah. And if the idea is to do something completely different or get out there or, or do something that doesn't involve creating income, well, I'll certainly need some liquidity to do that. Mm. I entertain the idea of basically selling everything. And I'm just wondering how kind of amazing or, or cleansing that might feel. And then just to start over in a different way. Wow. And I think it would be really fun. Really, really fun. I'm also kind of terrified of it. But it has been one of my thoughts of late or of the last, you know, six to eight months. I, I feel so lucky to have this place. And it's a it's kind of a wonderful existence that I have here. Mm -hmm. But this can't be my only way to live or my only existence. And certainly this isn't necessarily the way I'd like to grow older. Mm -hmm. Where everything else is concerned, I think it's just me. And one of the great things about getting older is that you realize a lot of other stuff doesn't matter. And it really is just about living a good life and being good to people around you and, mm -hmm. and contributing as much as we can. So if this house and all its possessions are in the way of that, I think I have no choice but to consider some alternative. Mm. And and as a creative person, when actually getting to this age where I'm a little more kind of just secure in my creativity with them, I'm not intimidated by the idea of starting fresh or recreating anything either. Right. I get the impression that the design of your home is not a complete reflection of who you are. Yeah. As much as we spoke about our homes being a, a beautiful way to communicate something about ourselves, I don't want this to be the only way I define myself either. I think that's one of the trappings of being able to have possessions at this level. <laughs> Many, anyway. Yeah. What about your 400 species of orchids? Where are they going to go? Oh, they'll find good homes, I'm sure. 400 species? <laughs> yeah, it is a lot. It's, I, You know, I tend to kind of geek out on things a little bit. So whenever it is I get interested in something, although I've been interested in orchids since I was a kid, I tend to really exploit that. Wherever I can, I buy a book on orchids of that region. What is it about orchids that you're so attracted to? They have incredible architecture. The plant structure is so beautiful. The shapes and forms are so varied. They're, they're very complex. And I'm really interested in the idea that this is a, a family of plants that's on almost every continent except the poles. Mm. It's one of the largest family of plants in the world. I think a few thousand species of orchids exist in the world. Hmm. So I think the idea that most people think they're kind of exotic and rarefied, and maybe they are in some ways, but they are also very common in others. And they're orchids that grow wild here in California. They're orchids that grow wild everywhere, actually. Even upstate New York, where I spent a good chunk of my childhood. Mm -hmm. I've always been fascinated with this one family of plants, I think because my uncle, who's also my namesake and my godfather, used to grow them. My mother's side of the family is all from Singapore. Basically, you know, that kind of equatorial rim in the Pacific, there's an incredible amount of flora and fauna there. And I find mm -hmm. that I'm, I really gravitate towards that for, I think, numerous reasons. But I think my uncle sparked my interest in them first, even though I had always been um, interested in plants and flowers when I was a little kid. Like even at six years old, I used to, you know, get these catalogs in the mail from a company called Breck. And you could just like check off a couple boxes and send a check in. And they send you these big, 
you know, boxes of bulbs and you plant them and a few months later you've got beautiful flowers. I was always really like so fascinated with that. So when my uncle kind of introduced me to the greenhouse that he had at their family home, I, I mean, I just saw colors and patterns and shapes that I hadn't seen in catalogs before. And now that I live in California, where we have pretty mild winters, you can grow a lot of plants outside, a, a lot of orchids. Um, that's a geek moment for me, for sure. <laughs> I think having a green thumb is a skill. Yeah. Because I have a fish pond also, I use all the wastewater to water my plants. So I, I'd like to think that even though the water has to come from somewhere, that at least it's not wasted after or, or that it's cycled towards something else that grows. But the kind of tropical side of my house is really just the back. And all the other plantings around are all drought tolerant and succulents and cacti and that sort of thing. That is so cool. Now, regarding your design work, something I wanted to ask you about is a big project you worked on, the LAX Lux Lounge. Oh, that's a really fun one. Can you share a little bit about this? I think over the years when I've traveled or traveled with a few friends that, that kind of need a little more privacy, uh, I've been through a few airports that have special services. Also, there's been a few times where clients have flown me around and they've given me kind of the special access to some of those services because it, it kind of expedites one through the usual security and baggage channels. So when the people at Private Suite reached out to me and I was already familiar with the service they were providing, which was great, they said, well, would you be interested in helping us kind of redefine our level of luxury? And I said, yeah, no problem. That'd be really fun. And, and they were also really interested in making it feel exactly the way I had sort of expressed how I approach design from a very personal level and for it to feel sort of mm. collected or curated or doesn't mean that it has to be super precious and everything is like, you know, something remarkable or historically important. It's just the the service itself in the past has catered to a segment of the population that really has a lot of choices. So they live a certain way. They're used to a certain kind of level of comfort and a certain kind of aesthetic. Mm. And for the sake of privacy, to not be able to access the same level of comfort seems like, uh, I think, to the people at Private Suite that they were, they were kind of missing an opportunity again. Mm. It was really fun helping them kind of redefine a different level of luxury during the travel process. And uh, we've done, oh, let's see, four of... 13 private suites and then we've completed three salons where you still can access the private service but there's a little more of a social element to it what's really nice about the service is that it's its own private terminal so when you go through tsa security it's really just you or whoever else might be flying at the same time right then you're driven on the tarmac on the other side of the airport directly to your plane. And you're basically then just put in your seat, which is amazing. Mm. And especially during, during the pandemic, it was kind of wonderful because I felt like I was limiting my exposure to, you know, the terminal and all of the traffic that goes through it. When you come back into LAX, they meet you at the plane take you off, wait for your baggage, and then bring it to you. So it really is a fantastic service. They are impeccable with how they approach it. I would encourage anybody who has it in them to try it. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, there's value in the cost. And for other people, I don't know if they could consider it. It sounds so cool. 
So, Cliff, as we're wrapping things up here, my final question to you is, what does being home mean to you? I think home really is just wherever you're comfortable. And the idea of being at home doesn't mean that it has to be perfect. I think anything can feel like home, especially if you just take a little bit of an opportunity to make it more personal. <laughs> I think people must think I'm crazy, but a lot of times if I go to a hotel room and sometimes I'll rearrange it. Like I just, because I think, okay, if I'm here for two days, if I'm here for a week, that chair is going to bug me where it is. And, and maybe in my own mind, it's counterintuitive or it makes no sense or it's not ergonomic or whatever the reason. I'll just change it. Sometimes just making it feel a little more like home is bringing a candle or some familiar smell you like. Or this is kind of embarrassing, but there was a time where I used to travel with my own pillow. <laughs> oh. I'm okay with that. But, you know, I was like Linus with a blanket. But I think really home is just wherever you're comfortable. And I think it's important to make an effort to, to give yourself that opportunity to be comfortable. And if that means tweaking something, changing something, bringing something that makes you feel good, well, I think we should all have the freedom to do that. And then if you're kind of defining your own home and, and the way you live, I always think of it like the way birds feather a nest. It's sort of like, even though feathering a nest is pretty simple, straw, sticks, feathers, for some people, it could be just as simple. For me, it's more complicated, <laughs> for better or worse. But really, it's just about nesting and someplace you kind of feel like you can just settle into and feel good. But if you offer yourself the opportunity to make it more personal, to make it more stimulating, to make it more engaging for you or your family, well, then your definition of home just expands. Mm. And it's not just the comfortable space. You know, It could be the everything space. And I feel really fortunate that I feel like I've had an everything space here since I finished my renovation. And no matter what it took, I feel like the ends justify the means. Right on. Cliff Fong, this has been so wonderful talking with you. Well, thank you, Lori. Really appreciate it. It was very generous of you. And, and thanks for making it so easy and comfortable. And this is fun. Absolutely. Thank you so much. To learn more about Cliff, visit him on Instagram at CliffSpot or visit his website, mattblackinc.com. That's black with an E-I-N-C.com, where you can learn more about his residential and commercial work. Be sure to visit our show notes where you can learn more about Cliff. You've been listening to the Being Home with Hunker podcast. For more information about this episode or others, visit hunker.com forward slash podcast. And if you don't already, please follow our show. If you like what you hear, be sure to give us a five-star rating and review and share it with your friends. It really does help. Being Home with Hunker is produced by me, Lori Gunning Grossman, executive produced by Eve Epstein. The podcast is recorded and mixed at Night Shift Audio. Theme music by Jonathan Grossman. Special thanks to Hunker's senior designer, Maury Men and director of audience development, Gina Goff. Hunker's mission is to inspire and empower you to create a space that expresses who you are, shows off your unique style, and makes your life happier and more productive.